Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. I love to give gifts. I mean, who doesn't? But when it comes to gifting wealth, there are several things to consider. Dave Neenaber and Joe Patterson can talk about those concerns, and they will. I'm Patrice Sikora. Welcome back, gentlemen. It's good to see you on this day of twos, 2-22-22. And this will be for posterity on this podcast, but it's something we should celebrate, don't you think? It is, plus it's a timeless topic. So regardless of what date we're getting together, I think there's a lot of good things here that'll uh, have a, a good shelf life to them. Absolutely. So let's start with gifting. What is it? Tell me about it. Sure. Uh, put simply, uh, when you give a gift, you're giving something of value to a recipient. Uh, that could be a person, a group of people, an organization, uh, and you don't expect anything in return. So uh, we'll throw around this term called irrevocable a few times in our chat today, but the gift that you give is irrevocable, meaning it is final and it cannot be changed. Uh, and gifting, as we'll discuss, can be very simple. Uh, it can be very complex and it can be everything in between those two extremes. So today we're, we uh, apparently have two primary buckets we're going to be talking about, family giving and charitable giving. Where do you want to start? Well, I think let's start with just some high level thoughts about giving. Um, and I guess the first thing as much as what you should do, it's sometimes often most important to understand what you shouldn't do. Mm. Uh, and as Joe and I were talking, the, the one common theme we see when it comes to gifting is don't listen to your friends. Uh, <laughs> the the amount of conversations that start with, well, my friends are doing this thing that their advisor told them to give this money away. Uh, typically, we spend more time erasing, you know, those thoughts and why they may be doing that. And there's just a lot of misinformation out there. So let's, uh, we'll start with don't listen to your friends and then kind of building off of that really just start with your goals. Um, and when you start with goals rather than tactics, the solutions oftentimes can be quite simple. And if it accomplishes your goal and it's simple, uh, we always consider that a win. So those are kind of the two themes to kick us off and think about as we talk about family giving and charitable giving. All right. Well, Joe, do you want to give us a background on estate taxes? Is that uh, your bailiwick? It is uh, generous to call it my bailiwick, but it is something we deal with on a regular basis with a lot of our clients. Uh, and it's, it's important to, to think about a few points with respect to estate taxes, because some of the gifting that our clients do and that we might suggest or that one of our clients might hear from their friends is giving away assets to avoid paying estate taxes. Mm. So as we dive into 2022, current law rounding the numbers allows an individual to protect $12 million of their wealth from federal estate tax at their passing. So multiply that by two for married couples, 24 million total. Uh, that, that's a big number. So we're talking off the bat, very few people in this country have to worry about estate tax. Mm -hmm. 
So back to Dave's point, might be at the country club having a chat, clients having a chat with with a friend of theirs, and one of their friends says, "Hey, I'm doing this. Uh, I don't want to pay estate tax." And you know, our client might say, "Oh, I don't want to pay estate tax." Well, <laughs> well, no one wants to pay estate tax, right? That client might have a net worth of five million between the client and their spouse, so they're they're likely not going to pay estate tax, and that's probably the end of that discussion. But for the folks that do, it's a big number because any assets that are subject to estate tax today will be subject to a 40% tax. And for those clients who do have a taxable estate, uh, that's a big number, right? And yeah. so yeah. gifting, whether to family or to a charitable organization or organizations, can be a very powerful tool in avoiding estate tax. Uh, it's also notable that the current laws that were put into place are scheduled to sunset in 2026. And at that time, that exemption that is now $12 million per person uh, is scheduled to revert to prior law uh, with some inflation adjustments. So we're probably looking at something in the range of 6 to $7 million of exemption. That's still a big number. You still multiply that by two for married couples. Uh, but for clients who, let's say, have a net worth of 15 to 20 million today, they're kind of comfortably sliding under that combined limit. Uh, in the future, they're going to likely well exceed that limit. So some of this planning is future looking. Um, and some of it is kind of let's take stock of where we are today. And, and like Dave said, Start with goals. Um, your, your goals can kind of inform the complexity or lack thereof of the strategies that we pursue. Which brings up the question, when a client comes in, is it more often they're coming in because they are concerned about taxes or is it because they have a desire and a goal they want to meet? I don't know that it's a concern. I mean, there's always a concern about taxes, right? You want to minimize how much you pay in income tax. And to Joe's point, a state tax at 40%, that can be a really big number. Um, I, I think it's just people, when we meet them, it's, I want to be as efficient and as good of a steward of these resources as I can be. And tax is a major component of it. The, the point that Joe shared is the laws are always changing. And we know now absent any future changes, they're set to revert in 2026. And if you look back a decade, that $24 million number was something a lot smaller, you know, two, $3 million, which is a lot of money, but it applies to a lot more people than 24 million. So, you know, I think if there's a, a ground rule to set for today's conversation, it's kind of let's ignore what the 24 and up crowd does. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of complexity. Uh, you could have an entire show on just one topic that you may do there. I say, you know, let's focus on what most of our clients are seeing and how they think about charitable gifting and gifting to their family. Well, let's let's talk about the charitable gifting side. It seems to me that might be a little bit simpler. Your goal is you you know the organization you want to support. What do you do? So we'll talk about this and, and repeat it, uh, and maybe people get tired of hearing it, but start with the goal, right? Um, people we work with like getting a tax benefit for their giving, uh, but we always say, well, let's let's identify your goal, which is to support organizations you care about and you believe in. And 
then let's take that and be tax efficient. Uh, clients generally expect a tax deduction for a gift that they make to a charitable organization, you know, qualified organization, but that's not always the case. Uh, several years ago with the change in tax law, we saw increased amounts for standard deductions and decreased ability to make deductions. So a lot of clients who, and a lot of taxpayers who were itemizing have no longer been itemizing for the last three, four years. So that's a big change. Uh, and the fact that you wrote a check to your church, to the other organizations you care about uh, in the past, almost all the time, the, the folks we work with would be deducting that. Now, many times they're not. Uh, so, you know, identifying the, that goal, start with the goal and then say, okay, how do we implement that? You know, what's the timing of the gift? Do you want to give it now? Do you want to give a gift in the future? Uh, maybe as part of a bequest from your estate, do you want to do both? When we identify timing, then we can say, all right, well, what's the most tax efficient asset to give away? A lot of times you can make a gift, write a check, right? That's easy. Uh, many of our clients choose to give away appreciated securities. Uh, you can give away securities that you've held for more than a year that have a gain. And if you give away that gain, you'll not be subject to the capital gain on the security you give away. Uh, and also on the other side, the charitable organization that you donate that to, it's not going to pay tax on it. So, so we like giving away tax liabilities, uh, but the answer is not the same for every client. I think that's a big key to this is we could talk to two clients who have a similar net worth, um, similar stage in life, but, but the details matter, right? So uh, that's where we say, okay, what is the, what is the best way for you and your situation to accomplish this gift? Uh, it may be different than, like I said, another client who's in the same seat. And I like the timing question. Uh, do you want to see the benefits of what you've given versus when you're dead? I mean, they'll get the money, but you won't necessarily see it and be able to appreciate what they've done with it. How do clients feel about that? Yeah, I don't know anyone that doesn't want to see the benefit of their giving and experience that during their lifetime. Uh, but to Joe's point about a gift is um, it's irrevocable. And so there's that trade-off of, okay, I'm giving up control to see the charity benefit. And uh, that can be a really difficult conversation. Uh, Joe, how have you seen that play out with clients, the give now versus give when I pass? Yeah, I think it's, it is, a, it is a challenging thing to think about um, because you want to see your wealth benefit the organizations you care about while you can, right? You know, one in-between solution we found that, that, that's got some flexibility when we think about timing is what we call the donor-advised fund. Some, some places call it a charitable gift fund. This helped us answer that question of, okay, clients who were itemizing and now are not generally because their situation doesn't allow that with the deductions they can still take, uh, but want to give to charity and, and give generously now, right? You know, in their current life and do so ongoing, uh, can fund assets, ideally appreciated securities into this donor advised fund vehicle. And the benefit is you can get this tax deduction from transferring this stock 
in the year you do it, uh, that might allow you to vault into the now I'm itemizing situation. And then you've sort of created this fund for future giving in future years. So the easy example I think about is a married couple who wants to give away $10,000 a year to charity. And they're deducting, let's say, $20,000 of itemized deductions. Uh, if that's the case, then they're not going to get that credit, so to speak, for the gift, because they're still going to take a standard deduction. But if they said, okay, let's take $50,000 of an appreciated stock and put it in that donor advised fund this year, well, then I've vaulted my itemized deductions from twenty dollars to $60,000. So I'm definitely going to be itemizing now. Uh, get the benefit of that from a tax perspective. And then I can still make my $10,000 of gifts each year for the next five years. So we call that bunching, really. Bunch multiple years of deductions where you can into one year. Uh, so when you do that strategy now, we've answered a challenge to the timing and tax efficiency question, which was, hey, I want to give now, uh, but sure, it'd be nice to get some credit, so to speak, on my taxes uh, the donor fund has allowed a lot of our clients to accomplish both those goals. Uh, and again, that's short-term giving, right? That's now and in the, in the immediate future. Um, there's other ways to approach long-term giving that may or may not include that donor advised fund structure. Yeah. And Joe, I want to circle back to the tax benefit and just be sure we're clear on that. So your description of bunching has really become popular since we've seen the change in the itemized deductions. Uh, but at most, uh, a $1 gift, 40 cents is coming from the IRS in the form of a deduction. That's at most. And so I think one of the misconceptions I see is just, I'm giving this and it's coming out of the IRS's pocket, and not mine. Well, not really. Perhaps 40 cents is coming out of the IRS's pocket in the form of a tax deduction, but at least 60 cents is um, you know, being shouldered by the donor. And so I think that's a common misconception about the deductions. So stated differently, don't make a charitable gift to get a tax deduction. Mm -hmm. Make a charitable gift because you want to support the organizations you're supporting. And then let's do it in a tax efficient manner. Yeah. And one quick word on the donor advised fund. I think they're fantastic. They make gifting so easy. Um, you think about if there's 10 charities you want to support, it's probably not practical to take a share of Apple and send it to each of those 10 charities. You have to get their brokerage information. They have to assign that share back to you. It's just an administrative hassle. Donor advised fund, you take 10 shares of Apple, you put it into the account, and then you can have a check. You can request a grant from your fund. Um, there's no guarantee that that grant is... Uh, accepted by the charity, but I've not seen issues with that in the past. Um, so it really simplifies giving. Uh, my wife and I laugh that it almost makes it too easy to give. I mean, you can log into your donor advised fund and give within seconds. Um, so, hey, it's a win for charities, right? They're, the donor is getting a, a tax advantage gift and it's easy to give. So that's a win-win. Then tell me about the gift agreement. So we the items that Dave and I have just mentioned with respect to the donor fund, that's all short-term in nature, right? I want to give a gift now. I want to give to my church uh, every six months. I want to make ongoing charitable gifts each year uh, and use that bunching technique 
to maximize your tax efficiency. The donor fund is one tool that can also facilitate some longer term giving. Um, so you probably, you know, there's another country club discussion. <laughs> and Dave knows where I'm going because he's laughing. Many clients over the years have established private foundations uh, to facilitate ongoing charitable giving. Uh, setting up a foundation and maintaining a foundation is a relatively expensive cost. So you, there's a tax return each year. Uh, you have to have a, technically you have to have minutes from the meeting of the foundation board and uh, there's rules in place as to how much can be given away uh, that are established for that foundation. It's, it's costly. And the other piece of it is even a private foundation is public record. Uh, so if you want to give to the organizations you care about and not allow it to be public record, then the foundation isn't a great tool. So the donor fund can act much like a foundation meaning you can set up an agreement that says, okay, here's the giving I want to do ongoing. And it can be as simple as give a percentage each year to these organizations, or it can be, Hey, I want to name my children as advisors. You know, we call them successor donor advisors for this fund. And they can give away the 5% each year or whatever the number is that we agree upon. Or you can say, Hey, you know, Schwab Charitable, Greater Cincinnati Foundation. I just want to support causes for stray animals, let's say. And they will take the funds and give them to charities that they have vetted. So th that's another reason we like this tool because it can not only facilitate giving now, it can be the tool to facilitate ongoing giving as a bequest to the fund, you know, at passing. You want to supercharge that gift, you can leave part or all of an IRA to a donor advised fund. So if you think about assets that you give away at death and think about who's inheriting those assets, often it's family. You know, the least favorable asset to inherit is an asset with a built-in tax liability, right? So that's an IRA or another tax deferred retirement account. But you can give those funds at your passing to a donor fund, uh, and then there's no tax paid by any entity. You've given away your, your least desirable asset from a tax efficiency perspective and funded this ongoing charitable bequest that, that, that you decided was important to you and your family. Yeah, and I think about the gift agreement as essentially putting guardrails in place that you know, at your passing, you want the charities that you support in your lifetime to remain true to their mission and to be, you know, smart with their finances. And the gift agreement allows a successor advisor to continue that accountability and ensure that that charity remains true to the mission that you wanted to support. Is there anything else about the charitable giving you want to make sure that we mention before we get on to the family? I think we have to throw in a, a quick note about Qualified charitable distributions, also referred as QCDs. Uh, when you turn 70 and a half, um, you have an option to um, give to charity from your IRA. Required minimum distributions now begin at age 72. They once began at age 70 and a half. 
Uh, so essentially what you're doing is you're giving part of your IRA that the IRS is requiring that you take out in turn so that they get tax money. They're taxing that income that's coming out of the IRA. Uh, but you have the option to instead send that to charity. And one of the great benefits of that is it, it just is a non-event on your tax return. So you don't show the income, you don't get the deduction, the charity gets the money. Uh, and you think, wow, I don't get a deduction. What's the point? Well, it's really valuable not to show that income. So mm -hmm. things even like Medicare premiums that are based on your income, if you show a lower income, you may pay a lower Medicare premium. So there can be advantages to that too. So it's, there's no one size fits all on, is it a donor advised fund? Is it simply a check that you write? Is it a QCD? They're all viable options and just really are depend on individual circumstances. Uh, but Joe's point about using the IRA is fantastic. One of my favorite planning techniques is having an IRA that you carve off and you have charitable beneficiaries. Therefore, you retain the flexibility. You can change the beneficiaries. You can, you know, make it your kids instead of charity in the future if your finances don't go as well as you, you plan for. Um, so using that technique to give an inefficient asset, as Joe highlighted, directly to a charity, I think is a tremendous technique. How do your clients uh, receive that kind of an idea? Do they like it? Yeah, I think it's a good way to put your toe in the water. Um, you, you can always change it. Um, you're just naming a beneficiary. Uh, I think it can take a while to determine who are those charities, how much do I put in there, but you can always move more money in and take money out of that IRA. So there's a lot of flexibility with that. All right. Family gifting. Oh my, this is probably uh, a more sensitive subject, shall we say? Talk to me about family gifting. Yeah, this makes uh, giving to charity look easy. <laughs> <laughs> but again, start with that goal, right? Yeah, That's start, right. Start with the goal, right? So there's a couple common goals. We'll boil it down to two. Uh, I want to help my children. I want to help my family. I want to help my loved ones, my friends uh, during their lives when they can really benefit. Uh, we're seeing this a lot more. And I know Dave and I get excited about this and, and encourage it because what we're hearing from our really successful clients is, I, you know, it's great that I have all this wealth. I don't know that it does much if my kids inherit this when they're 60 or 65. Mm -hmm. uh, we completely agree. But I want to help them when they're 30, when they're having kids, when they're buying their first home. Uh, and, and I know personally, I get excited about that kind of planning because, you know, I think about buying my first house and, you know, Hey, a nice, a nice gift from mom and dad sure, sure is great. And, you know, they've identified this money's going to them anyway. So let's, let's help them now, uh, with some caveats. I think Dave will get into a little bit. Uh, the other goal we were talking about the 24 million plus crowd, but, but really, you know, maybe the 12 to 24 million crowd too, because they're going to get thrown back into this bucket in the future here is I want to reduce my taxable estate. Uh, so to help people I care about reduce taxable estate. Those are the two most common goals for family giving. They often coincide and go hand in hand. Dave. Yeah. So one of the most common techniques for family giving uh, is what's called giving your annual exclusion. 
Um, any person can give to any other person $16,000 per year. Uh, just last year, that amount was 15,000. It just went up to 16,000. Um, for a married couple, that's $32,000. And when you think about your children and grandchildren and other family members, you can give a lot of money away with no tax to you, no tax to the recipient, and no gift tax return, as long as it's that $16,000 or less. What's not to like here? Well, especially if you're the one receiving the $16,000 per year. Um, so really that strategy tends to relate to lowering your estate. Uh, and as we've talked, that's not a huge deal now, but could become a bigger deal as laws change in the future. Um, I think the, the complicating factor with that just, and this is probably the most difficult piece of this entire conversation is how do you give and keep people motivated? How do they not plan on seeing that $16,000 next year and changing their behavior as a result? So that is an endless debate uh, with clients and they all kind of look at it differently. And a lot of times a husband and wife will look at it differently. One will say, boy, when we were 35 and we bought that used minivan and we barely were able to get the down payment for the house, we could have used that money and we could have done different things for our family. Uh, and another spouse may look at that and say, you know, it was the struggle that got us there. It was the struggle when we were 35 that really makes us appreciate the wealth and gave us some of those good behaviors that have helped us become wealthy. You know, it's funny, some of the people that do a budget are the last people that need to do a budget. They had good financial DNA when they were young, and they've carried that on into their later years. So motivation and how that can be different, even for each child in a family, uh, is a really difficult uh, thing to navigate. How have you seen that play into con client conversations, Joe? I think one thing that I, I remind our clients, and, and this is entirely from, from the observation perspective that I get to have, is when we're talking about making these types of gifts, when we get to that, when we approach that point, it is almost certain that you parents, you know, clients have already cemented how your kids are going to respond to this wealth. Now, giving them a big, big gift, much more than the dollars that Dave just mentioned, perhaps that is, that is life-changing and, and habit-changing. But when we're talking about giving to children who are 25 or 30, you know, in our examples here, 35, and they're buying their first home or they're buying their second home or getting a home improvement project done or they're having kids, uh, it is highly likely that their financial habits are already in place and how they respond to this money is just a byproduct of how they've been raised. So all those concerns that Dave just mentioned about, uh, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to spoil the kids. We don't want to compromise their work ethic. Their work ethic is probably in place and, and it is what it is with or without these gifts. Uh, but it, but it's a change, right? And it's, it, it is, there's very few people for whom 16 or $32,000 isn't a nice chunk of change. Yeah. Right. And especially when you're younger. So um, it is a struggle. And I think the other thing that we circle back to is, well, okay, let's, you know, let's not do this, but then they're just going to get a big chunk of money when they're 60 or 65. And, you know, a lot of the clients we're talking to are kind of in that age frame and, you know, they're getting ready to, you know, ratchet down. They've sold a business. 
they're seeing the value in time even more now because they have more time and they want to spend time with kids and grandkids. And uh, I, I, it's a, you know, it's an ongoing conversation. I think that's my takeaway is it isn't just a, let's do this and be done. Let's make this one decision or, or employ this one strategy and call it a day. This is an ongoing discussion, uh, you know, for clients that are doing the exclusion gifting, it's an ongoing strategy, right? So, and, you know, you'll know as a client, if your kids can't handle it, uh, because you'll see the changes. But again, I think that's one thing I come back to is, is, is their habits have been well-formed and their, their attitude towards, towards wealth has been well-formed by how they've been raised. Now the word irrevocable seems to come up to mind here. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Like a, a charitable gift. Um, once the cash leaves your checking account and gets deposited into someone else's, it's theirs. Um, if you subsequently don't like their behavior, there's no turning back. That gift is uh, final. Mm-hmm. Um, so the same balance that we talked about with charitable giving, do you want to see it during your lifetime and have that finality that you've given away that money? Or do you want to keep that money in reserve and then it, it, you're passing, it goes to your heirs. Uh, that same kind of balance that we see with charitable giving exists with giving to family as well. Um, Joe mentioned business owners and giving. And if there's, if you want to add complexity to family dynamics, um, sell a business or give a business to one of your kids and not to your other kids, uh, that's been a real struggle on what's the value, right? If you give $50,000 to your three kids, it's pretty easy to say I've been fair to my three children. Uh, if you give one a business and you give others cash, you'll never know if you were fair or not. Um, so that can be a, a, a tough conversation as well. But you also, at that point, you should know whether that child wants to continue with the business. Have they been active in it? Do they want it to succeed or are they just going to sell it? Yeah. Do they have the skill to carry it on? Do they have the desire to continue in the business? There's a lot of uh, non-financial matters there as well. Joe, any thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's a good point about the business owner piece of it. I think, I think the other thing we think about is, okay, we've talked a lot about this annual exclusion gift. Um, There's kind of a second level of the strategy of family giving, which is we want to do more now, meaning we want to take advantage of these current exclusions amounts, but also these current lifetime exemption limits. So that $12 million, I'm going to roll back to estate taxes. You can use that at any point in your life or at your, at your death, right? So there's some argument to be made, and it's a stronger argument depending on the individual situation for each client is, if I'm going to give away this wealth, then in theory, it's better to give it away now and have given away all the future appreciation on said wealth than to wait until I pass and then give it away, right? So if you give away $12 million today, which is a big number, uh, in theory, you're giving away assets that hopefully are worth a lot more than that in 20, 30 years, let's say. So this idea of let's give away this asset and also the future appreciation on the asset that applies to everything we just talked about. Mm-hmm. It's if you can afford it and you feel comfortable with it, it's better to give it away now than in the future. So the challenge, the only downside related to exclusion giving is you're not using any of that exemption. That's a good thing, right? Because 
there's no tax implication. There's no gift tax return required to be filed. Uh, but let's say we've got clients and we do have some who we agree. Let's, we want to give away more now, but we don't necessarily want to give that more all directly to our kids and other beneficiaries. So we introduced the idea along with our client's estate planning attorney of some type of irrevocable trust. And that's, that's your irrevocable word again there. This is a trust that if you put it in place and fund it, you can't with some limited exceptions say, Oh, just kidding. I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> um, this is, goes back to, there's a lot of complexity with these types of trusts. There's a lot of potential options or a lot of potential benefits, um, at a high level, this gives some guardrails into how the assets can be accessed. Uh, this is a good tool to help kids navigate their way into wealth, right? So let's say you as a client agree, we're going to give away $5 million to this trust and it's going to benefit our three kids. Uh, and there's going to be a trustee in place who says, these are the funds that you can use. Uh, these are the reasons you can use these funds. You're not just going to get your third of $5 million all at once, but It'll be there for you along the way. Um, again, this is this can't be reversed. There's no there's no do overs with these types of of trusts, but this is probably the most powerful tool of family giving to reduce a taxable estate. Uh, it can also be the most complex and most expensive, but for clients who can afford it, uh, there's significant tax savings to be realized in the form of estate tax avoidance. Yeah. And your point, Joe, about the future appreciation is spot on. The power of giving today is not just in your example, the $5 million, it's no longer part of your estate. It's the growth on that $5 million over time. Um, I just want to throw out one um, pretty common gift that I've seen lately in the current crazy housing market. Um, and that is clients helping their children purchase a home. Uh, so many homes are going for cash offers and no inspections and the, it's kind of crazy what's going on, but seen a number of clients that have helped their children put in a cash offer, uh, especially in hot markets, Boston, Denver, you name it. Uh, the competition to buy a home is really steep. And then the, the nice thing about that is the parents can either choose that the home is fully paid for, or they can take a note back from their child and essentially hold the mortgage, have an attorney create the mortgage document, file the mortgage so that you have a lien on the house and treat it just like a bank. Um, so there's varying degrees that that kind of gift scenario can play out. You know, obviously with the mortgage, it's not a gift. There's a, a liability back, but some folks, you know, prefer to, uh, to make an all cash payment as well. All right. Guys, as we wrap this up, um, talk to me about steps that potential clients or clients should take. Where do they start? Well, forget what you heard from your friends. I think we started there. Um, this giving resources, giving cash and securities away to either charity or family really needs to be based on goals. And I think there's some tremendous simplicity that can come out of a conversation that starts with goals rather than techniques. Um, so, you know, as a couple for our married couples, um, think about your charitable goals, goals for your family. And then that really uh, helps the, the conversation with the Foster and Motley team be much more robust and focused on your circumstances. 
Joe, any thoughts? Yeah, those are, those are great points, Dave. As with many decisions that we help our clients make, once we identify the goals, then we kind of quickly see that this is an estate planning question. This is a tax planning question. There's an investment part of all this, right? Because of the types of assets you own and types of investments you own. Uh, and there's a charitable planning element that weaves all of, all of this together. So it's not as simple as it sometimes appears to be, but that's where we can sit down and say, all right, we understand your goals. Let's figure out how to implement. Uh, I think one other point I wanted to make about estate tax, the cheapest and most effective way to avoid estate tax is give assets to charity either now or in the future. So we talked about family giving and reducing estate tax. <clears throat> that's, that's can be complex. Some of it's very simple with exclusion giving. Some is very complex, uh, but it has never changed that if you don't want to pay a state, a state tax of any kind, that's possible by virtue of charitable giving. So keep that in mind as well. Uh, sometimes the best answer is the most simple, not always, but sometimes it is. And as the son of an estate planning attorney, you can't help but bring it back to a state tax, Joe. <laughs> I'm smiling at Dave's comment for those, for those listening. But that is um, true. We talked about the easiest estate plan is give what I can to my kids that I don't pay tax on and give the rest to charity. And you want simplicity. That is very simple. Well, how can listeners reach you at Foster and Motley? couple ways. Our website, www.fosterandmotley.com. Uh, for those that still use a telephone, we answer our phone here as well. 513-561-6640. All right. Now, gifting is a wonderful thing. Just be aware of the nuances and how a financial advisor can help guide you. Follow this podcast and share with others. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.